Within our association of Grace International, which is where we are a part of in our oversight and leadership, uh, we have a ministry. It is Grace Leadership College. And that college is, uh, again, in the day and age in which we live, so important. And it's so important that we have different places and opportunities for our young people to go to where they can not only get a continuing education, a higher education, but not seeing all of the spiritual impartation that they receive to that point totally stolen from them through secular uh, institutions. And, and that is the, the, the plan today, is this place of desensitizing to Christian values. And we, uh, again, have this opportunity within Grace International. And uh, it's, again, it's a privilege today to have the director and his wife, Haley and Isaac Elsner, are here today with us. He is the director of the Grace Leadership College. And uh, again, it's a wonderful opportunity. If you have questions about that, you want some questions or some answers for your young people or the opportunities that are there. They would love to answer those questions for you, um, all sorts of ways in which you can do that. But uh, today, I really want to uh, ask them to come on up here and give them a greeting, a New Life greeting. They, uh, they really have become family to us. We love them. We have had some, a lot of fun with them. We've really enjoyed the time, and this is the beginnings. I mean, the beginnings three years ago, but it feels like beginnings because finally he brought his wife. Better half. I know. Now, now, now we know why we like him. <laughs> and uh, Haley ministered to the women. I, I was here Friday night for the Shine Conference, and, and Isaac and I came, and, and I was watching her minister, and I thought, what a firecracker for Jesus. I mean, just a, a total light. What I mean, an explosion went off in this place, and it was just an amazing pouring out of God's Spirit. And I am so blessed. And I, I want Haley to just bring a greeting and let everybody know what you thought and how'd you feel through it all. This weekend was amazing. Can I hear the ladies? Yeah. God met us. God was here. He spoke to us. Uh, it's all glory to God. He knows exactly what we need. Amen? Thank you for bringing me in. I have felt like family since the second I got here. I was immediately brought in to like the no filter kind of stories as we shared a meal together with some ladies. And I just felt like I was one of you. So thank you for loving me and bringing me in. Um, I spent a weekend with you anytime. It's been amazing. So good. All right. Thank you, Haley. And this is her husband, Isaac. He is the director. He is a pastor on staff at Grace uh, Grace Church in Houston, Texas. Great big church uh, with such a wonderful home feel for such a mega church to be able to feel like there's a family that's there. And we felt the same way when we were there visiting as well. He is the director, as I said, of the Grace Leadership College. So will you give a welcome to Isaac Elsner? There we go. Okay, that's a little bit better. Again, good morning, New Life. It's so great to be with you uh, today. Something that you need to know, obviously, you guys, some of you have been here for a long time as a church, and then others of you, this might be your first time. 
you need to know that Pastor Mark and Joni Runyon and uh, Pastor Trevor and Lauren, they are incredible pastors, and this is good soil. This is a good place to not just come and receive, but to also also go and, and, and do. This is a, a place where you can grow your family. This is a place that really stands for family values and is about not just teaching you, uh, not just creating a inspirational message and moment for you here, but to take it home to your families and for you as parents to lead your children in the ways of the Lord. And uh, like, uh, like Pastor Mark said, we really are family. It really has been an honor and privilege being able to be here and minister to you guys this, uh, this weekend. Like he said, I'm the director of Grace Leadership College, and we're an extension site of Southeastern University, and that's how we're able to receive all the accreditation when it comes to bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. And so what we do is we combine the highest level of uh, academic excellence with then what we believe an incredibly uh, strong environment for leadership development and uh, also the building of skills when it comes to young people, not just earning their degree, but also building their life. Uh, uh, our mission is to build leaders worth following, to advance the kingdom of God in ministry or the marketplace. And uh, how many of you know that leadership transcends? You don't have to be in ministry in order to then lead people to Christ. And so building leaders worth following is what we're all about. And I should be fine with the microphone, Pastor Mark. Yeah, I should be. It would be a little tough. So as he is, as he is like doing surgery on my, my other sides, yes, there you go. A little bit about me, just so you know, you're not just, I'm not just some random, tall, Caucasian stranger up here just talking to you about scripture. Uh, you know what? Check, check, check. One, two, three. Test mic check. There we are, party peoples. Is that a thing? Is that a saying? Parte? Well, the men in the room don't flow that way, all right? We're a little bit more... Ha! Party! Yeah. There you go. No, no, no. I like, I like to say that Haley, she has my heart, right? Bass fishing is my passion. All about me, some bass fishing. Building leaders worth following is my mission. And I absolutely hate country music, plain and simple. I mean, that's just all you need to know about me. It's all, it's all you need to know. Uh, I, I rage against the stereotype of, you know, being a Texan and a Houstonian. I mean, our nation is fantastic. It's the best one in, uh, in the United States. Yes, I said nation. Yes, you heard me correctly. Yes, that was on purpose. Yes, there is a lot of Texas pride up here on this stage this morning. Uh, but yeah, speaking of stereotypes, my family, uh, we totally fulfilled the stereotype. Uh, I'm the oldest of eight, and so counting my mom and dad, there's 10 of us, and yeah, I grew up going to the grocery store with all of them all at once, and yeah, everybody would be staring and looking and be like, yes, no, you know, we are a, you know, 100%, you know, uh, everybody, everybody was, 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 was born from this from this mom right here and this father, and yes, we are Caucasian, and yes, we are not Mormon, and this is what it is, and I know it's shocking, and we would drive a 15-passenger van uh, to church every single Sunday, and after the service, my dad would drive said 15-passenger van to the front of the building, and we would proceed to pile in along with other people, thinking it was the church shuttle, because that's just what it looked like, and 
and we would be fine with it. It'd be like, hey, you know, this is our family van, but you're more than welcome to come to our house with us, free babysitting. We need it. We love it. Thank you, please. But just know this is your getting off moment. Otherwise, there's a point of no return. And uh, we will not be stopping. <laughs> we will not be stopping. Uh, the passage of, of Scripture that I want us to dive in today um, is, is coming out of a, a moment of, of quiet time, and I was talking with Pastor Mark saying, hey, what, what would you like to, us to impart to the church on Sunday? What series are you potentially in? And he had mentioned that y'all just finished series on the Gospel of Luke, and so he said this was kind of a standalone transitional uh, series or transitional message. And so he said, speak whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading. And so this is just coming from a place of growth and a place of tension, honestly, uh, within my own life. And I just hope that this passage, it connects some dots for you. Um, after I read it, what the Holy Spirit does is whatever comes out of my mouth before it hits your ears, I just believe that that would be anointed and that uh, that, that would be what connects dots in your mind as we continue to grow our relationship with him. And so Mark 10, Mark 10 is where we're going to be at today, verse 17. But contextually speaking, just to kind of give you a, a roadmap of, of where Jesus has been before this moment, uh, he has left Capernaum for the very last time. Capernaum was known essentially kind of as his home base, and he's leaving Capernaum, headed to Jerusalem. He's 33 years old, and his face, Scripture says, is like set like flint. He's determined, he's focused, because he knows where he's headed. He, he's actually headed to his death. And he's warned his disciples many times. He's warned his followers, this is where we're going. Um, but there's still some dots not connecting for them. And he seems to be out ahead, and he's, he's headed towards his passion. <laughs> he's passionately headed towards what he was put on this planet to, in fact, accomplish. And we find this story of Jesus headed that way. And as he is going towards his passion, he is then confronted by another individual, someone I would say would be quite passionate. It was the rich young ruler. And this uh, gospel of Mark, it wasn't written by Mark. It was, in fact, written by the apostle Peter. And Peter, uh, he's known for being, obviously, the loudest and most talkative disciple that Jesus ever had, and foot and mouth and all of that. And so uh, Peter, what you need to know is he actually, this is all accounts from his life, eyewitness of Jesus, and Mark was his scribe who actually wrote it down. So picture this story from the eyes of Peter. This is his chronological connections, and this is him describing to us this story known as the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, 17, and I'm going to read to verse 31. We're going to read this whole passage right here, and then we'll unpack it together. Mark 10, verse 17, says this, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. And knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. 
There is still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. And looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. I love how Jesus here, whenever he's speaking about what it means to follow him, he never puts out a bribe. He never is like, if this happens, then this, like, he very much so is about a challenge. I'm calling you to this challenge. I'm not calling you to, to this bribe of convincing you to this, that, or the other. Why? Because we see in verse 31, he's about a kingdom that's flipped. He's about taking our dynamic of what it means to be successful in this planet, on this life, and he flips it upside down. He says in verse 31, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And the most and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then, flipped upside down. The title of our message this morning is this, lack of balance, lack of balance. Turn to the person next to you and ask, how is your balance? How is your balance? How is your balance these days? People in the back, how is your balance? People in the front, how is, your, how is your balance? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like in my life, I am constantly fighting a lack of balance. <laughs> a lack of balance. Have you ever heard the phrase, work and home balance? <laughs> Work-life balance. Balancing the budget. Balancing your caloric intake and output. <laughs> Balancing your expectations of your spouse. <laughs> Women's conference. Hello, somebody. Ba <laughs> Balancing the kids' performance to what you expected when you created them. And soon you realized, oh, no. The balance, this, it's like, it, it, there's so much security, I feel like we, we, we seem to achieve or try to accomplish when it comes to this idea of having a balanced life. Like, if I can have a balanced life, if everything is good over here, everything is good over here, and we have it all, it's all connected. Hey, we've, we've lived long enough to know that everything in life is kind of connected, and they're not isolated. Everything spills over into each other. There's this sense of security we seem to have when life is, in fact, Balance, but so often it is not. <laughs> There's a lack of balance. And uh, when I think of balancing, obviously I, I do think of like the physical side of things. It reminds me of, of a very, fairly famous story of this gentleman named Charles Blondin. 
Charles Blondin in the 1860s, he was famous for uh, doing stunts of just uh, high adrenaline rush situations. He was, he was a tightrope walker. He came from France. Of course he's French. Tightrope walking, French. I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. Probably the only good thing that came out of France. And uh, he's there, you know, everybody is now tired of him in France. He's now made his way over to America and he's now showing everybody what he's made of. He's doing all of these tightroping stunts. In fact, he decided, I am going to, in fact, do a tightrope across none other than Niagara Falls. And if you've never been there, it's a 1,100 like distance like across and about 600 feet in the air. And, and he'd do his thing and the crowd would go wild and he'd be tightroping, you know, he'd be going forward and he'd be going backward. Everybody would be going, ooh, ah, you know, and they're just going. And he's like, yeah, he's going back and forth and it's great. And here's what ends up happening. He decides to up the ante. And so what he does is he's like, one day he's like, you know what? I, I got it. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to go across this top boat. But for some reason, you know, I just have this crazy idea because he was French, right? I just got this crazy idea. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow because that just makes sense. And so he shows up one morning and it's all in the papers and everybody's there to see Charles Blondin and his balancing act. And he shows up with the wheelbarrow and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, who believes that I can go across this tightrope with this wheelbarrow? And everybody shouts, we believe! We believe that you'll do it. And, and he's like, are you sure? And he starts to do the tightrope and they're like, we believe. And so he's going, you know, he's doing back and forth and... You know, and he's gone, and he makes it across safely, and he makes his way back, and the crowd's going wild. The crowd's going wild. And Charles Bond is like, yes. And he's like, how many of you believe that I can go across again with this wheelbarrow? And they're like, we believe. And then he proceeds to say, all right then, who is ready to believe with me and get into said wheelbarrow and help me go across together? The silence was so loud. <laughs> because what was happening in that moment is their belief <laughs> did not all of a sudden change to action. And as I remember this story, I think of this rich young ruler where his passion, he was so passionate, but his passion outpaced his participation. And when it came to Jesus, at some point the passion was there, but the participation it was lacking. And the first observation for you to put down in your notes is simply this, following Jesus, when it comes to following him, uh, Christ requires both belief and obedience. Amen. Following Jesus, it requires the belief, but it also requires obedience. We can't just sit here on a Sunday and go, we believe. And then when we leave these doors, we just leave the belief in the room. This rich young ruler, he had 100% belief in who Jesus was. He truly did. I don't know if you caught some of the nuances here in this story, 
But what we have here in this moment is this wealthy, powerful, young individual. He had, he had the health, he had the wealth, and he had the power. And yet he finds himself at the feet of Jesus. He had no business doing what he was doing. He had no business taking, like, uh, being undignified and taking up his tunic and running, a ruler running. You just never saw that in Scripture. You saw it a few times, but none of it was connected to being, uh, uh, like, if, if you were running, you were in trouble. It wasn't something that important people did. They had important people run for them <laughs> while they stood off to the side. And here this man is running to Jesus. Think about it. What other moments in scripture do you see an individual running and then being at the feet of Jesus? Every single one of them is connected to a belief or an understanding in who he is. Think about it. The woman with the issue of blood. Think about it. The uh, Jairus, the, the, the father of the daughter who was dying, Think about the Roman centurion that came for his servant. Think about the Syrophoenician woman. All of these moments where they come to the feet of Jesus, they're, they're believing who he is. And then it says here that he addresses Jesus as good teacher. Good teacher. And then Jesus responds with, why do you call me good? There's a reason why he responds that way because that Greek word for good is agathos, and that means intrinsically good. So in other words, the rich young ruler was saying intrinsically good, teacher. And Jesus responds, well, why do you call me? Well, hold on a second. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Because if you're calling me intrinsically good, that means that you're calling me God. Because God is the only one who is intrinsically good. Don't you notice how he responds? Why do you call me good? Because only God is truly good. Jesus was trying to get a, 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 a statement of faith from this rich young ruler in this moment. This guy knows. He's like, I know that something is lacking in my life and I know that you have the answer to it. I believe who you are, Jesus. But then when the moment came, for the action to then follow the belief, <laughs> he was lacking. And how many of us in our own lives, we will profess a belief. We will say, God, I believe this. But then when it comes to living it out in my life, we, 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 we stop. <laughs> we fall short. At some point in our lives, we're going to have to take our faith and take it off the bench and then put it in play in so many different aspects. We have different levels of it. For some of us in here, you know, we say, God, I believe that you're my provider, but then we hold off on putting him first when it comes to what his truth says in regards to the tithe. It's not that God needs your money, it's he wants your heart, and so he knows that's where it's connected to. For some of us, it's God, I believe that your time, mm, Lord, your timing is perfect. It is perfect. It is perfect. And yet you spend and we spend so much energy trying to make events and things happen outside of the time of God. And what we say doesn't connect with what we do. We're like, God, I, I am going to, Lord, I, I, I'm going to, 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 to serve my family. I'm going to love. I know that that's what I need to do as a husband. And yet then it's like, no, you need to start loving your wife unconditionally. <laughs> Just say it. At some point, parents, you know this. You know this. Uh, you tell your kids, you know, they have their, their chart of chores to do and whatnot. And, and, and they know what is right. And they even say, yep, I'm going to do it. 
And then an hour goes by and they haven't done what they knew they're supposed to do. Hey, Johnny, don't forget, take out the trap. Yep, got it. Yep. <laughs> Nothing. Ladies in the room, yes, the husband honeydew list is ever long. It's football season right now. Okay, the perfect napping conditions are a Sunday afternoon watching football, American football. Yes, the honeydew list. Yes, I know we say that we're going to do something, and then all of a sudden our actions all of a sudden end up being lacking. Listen, you recognize this. Your boss recognizes this. Everyone recognizes that actions speak louder than words. And in this moment, Jesus is making the connection, helping us see, you're following me. There's a balance. There is a belief, and then there is also an obedience. You have to have both. And yet what I find in my own life, we find true of this rich, young ruler, we, we tend to, what we tend to do is we tend to swing to one side or the other, Right? And in the tightrope of our lives, we swing to belief or we swing then to performance. Because look at what happened. Because we know the story. We read the whole thing. The rich young ruler right here, you could argue that it's not like he wasn't obedient. I mean, the man was doing stuff. Did you catch it? I mean, think about it. Jesus started giving him like the Ten Commandments. And he started saying, well, hold on, Jesus. Like, I have done all of this. Since I, was a, since I was a child, that means that before he was even held accountable to the law, he was doing exactly what Jesus was saying. I was talking with Pastor Mark about this yesterday. Like we created the term adolescence. Like back in the day, you had kids and then you had, you had boys and then you had men. <laughs> you had girls and then you had women. There was no middle situation. It was like you're a child and then at 13, boom, you are held accountable to the entirety of the law. And this man is saying, before, like before I even turn 13, I've been doing this. Jesus, don't you see me perform? Don't you see me work? But this is what we have to understand today. You can write this down in your notes. Outward performance, it doesn't equal, it doesn't equal inward obedience. Just because there's an outward performance, it doesn't equal inward obedience. Did you catch, I find this so interesting, did you catch the list of what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? He said, well, you know the law. And he starts to tell him the Ten Commandments, right? We'll read, him, we'll read him again. It says, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. You must honor your father and mother. And then he stops. Wait a second, that's six. But I thought there were ten. And it's as if Jesus here was helping him see and recognize, hold on a second, yes, I know you have done all of these things. Those were the last six of the 10. The first four deal with something else. The last six, they deal with your relationship with others horizontally. But the first four, they were deal with you and me and my relationship, your relationship with God vertically. And you've been doing this since you were young. But this connection has not been there. It's not there. But Jesus, look at all that I'm doing. Because <laughs> this is what we do. We grab the wheelbarrow and we get to work, don't we? 
We swing to the other side and we just go, watch me serve. Watch me serve, Jesus. Watch. Watch me do a little spin situation here. Woo! Look at this. Did you see me sacrifice for my kids? Dude, did you see me? Jesus, look at this backwards situation here. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see how I was... was Honoring you with the tithe? Did you recognize that? Did you see me share? Did you see me love? Did you see me sacrificially lead? Did you see all of the things I'm doing? God, watch it go. Look at me perform. Look at me balance. And Jesus is saying, hold on a second. It's not about the balance because outward performance, it, it doesn't always connect to inward obedience. And all this rich young ruler had done his whole life was this balancing act of performance. And it's so true for you and I. But if we're honest, it's exhausting. And if we're honest, we think that it's bringing us security, but it's really not. And the more that we try to do the balancing act, the less balanced we really are. And Jesus is trying to get us to something deeper than just Going through the motions, it's deeper than that. But the ruler's not necessarily getting it, and the disciples aren't necessarily getting it yet in the moment, because this rich young ruler has so much to show for what he's done and what he's accomplished. He's got a lot to show for it. But this is the third observation that I've seen from this story, and that is this, outward performance doesn't equal inward obedience but thirdly, outward success, it's not indicative of inward security. Because this guy had it all. And yet he still is feeling like something is lacking. There's something missing. For some of you in the room today, you by human perspective have it all. You're fine. You got nothing going on and you've seen religion, you've seen as following Jesus, that's for the people who have a crutch. That's for people who need something because they're missing other things in life. And I gotta tell you this morning, it has absolutely nothing to do with a crutch. It has everything to do with the fact that true purpose, direction, and meaning and fulfillment is only found in connection to Christ. And at the end of the day, what you got going on on the outside is not indicative of an inward security because if you were honest with yourself, you would recognize, hold on, I might feel comfortable outward, but inward, I'm on the tightrope. And if I was honest with myself, I'm afraid I'm going to fall at any moment. Because what do you have when what you don't have doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> Think about it. Because this is what we do. We swing to the other side. Some of us, we're all about the performance. But then other of us, we're like, oh, what can I put in my wheelbarrow? Do you see this relationship? Do you see how perfect it is? Everybody check. Do you see, do you see how my family operates? Oh, it's like clockwork. Yeah, we love each other. Yeah, we sing Kumbaya every single dinner. We have dinner time. Mm, it's good. Do you see the grades my kids are pulling down? Do you see the promotion that I got at work? Do you see all of the 
teenagers in the room. Do you see all of the fact that people are seeing me? All of the likes, all the comments, all the shares, everything. Did you see me trend, trend, trend on TikTok? Did you see that? Look at that go. And we're just putting it on. We're just putting it on. We're just putting it on, putting it on. Watch. Look at this. But what happens? What happens when what is on the inside all of a sudden is no more? What do you do with it? It dumbfounded people. How could somebody like this man have, have something on the inside is lacking? It didn't make sense. The disciples, they were amazed. Scripture says that they, were, they weren't just amazed once. They were amazed twice, which means even more so like, oh, Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Because he said, it's so difficult for someone that on outward perspective is so successful. It's so difficult for that individual to surrender and, and, to, and to live a life of following me. It's so difficult. And they were amazed. Because all they knew was that that was the exact sign of God's Provision and God's blessing upon their lives. Think of, think of Job, right? Think about him. He was, in, he was incredibly affluent. And then all of a sudden, when everything was taken away, all of his friends thought that all of a sudden, God was now against him and God was lacking. And there was a connection there between the goodness of God and what you had. And yet they didn't recognize that Job was learning more about God and becoming more connected to God than he had ever been before. Because they couldn't understand the outward, the, 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 the outward sign of success was not indicative of an inward security. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. And Jesus, even Peter's like, <laughs> even Peter's like, God, well, okay. All right. I'm tracking with you, Jesus. <laughs> and he points at, it's like he points at his wheelbarrow and is like, yeah, well, we've given everything, Jesus. <laughs> we've given absolutely everything to follow you. We have done everything that you could possibly want and more. <laughs> See, we've picked up our wheelbarrow. We're producing and we're keeping nothing of it for ourselves. We've given house at home, etc. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I love you, but all... Oh, you're missing it again because, because, and then Jesus starts to go off on this, this, this tangent of honestly how if you want to live, have a larger life, you just need to become smaller in it and become more outward focused instead of, you know, inward focused and, and to serve and he's connecting all of that. Yeah, I was like, Peter, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. There's, there's an inward security that can only be found. But how then, how then can people be saved? <laughs> Did you catch what turned the face of the rich young ruler down? Because it, it wasn't the performance that was the issue. He could perform. He could do it all. What turned his face away and why many theologians believe this is the saddest place in all of Scripture because it's the one place where someone came to the feet of Jesus with a need and then left without it being fulfilled. What made his face turn, what made his face turn and, 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 and not receive what the only person ever in the recording didn't receive from help from Christ? It was not that Jesus asked him to perform. It's because he asked him for something deeper than that. He asked him for his heart. 
He asked him for him. He asked him for something deeper than motions. He asked him for motive. He asked him for his heart because Jesus knew at the core, and you can write this down, this last thought, that when it comes to following Christ, the heart's motive creates the hand's motion. And Jesus knew at the end of the day, everything, all of the motion, everything that we end up doing, if it's not connected to the right motive, then it's going to end up being empty. It's not going to end up being there. Just like, I want your heart. Would you give me, would you give me your heart? Would you give me, would you give me your, your motive? Your motive. The why behind the what. And as we're thinking that, we're probably asking exactly the question that the disciples asked, which is, oh God, <laughs> if, 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 the, if the balance of obedience and belief is connected to motive, then, then how in the world is anybody going to be able to do anything with the right motives? Because we all do things for things. <laughs> Right? We all scratch your back to scratch mine. You know, we all do things for the exchange of goods and favors. And like, how, how is it possible then? And this is where the connection is. And this is where I found freedom. And this is where I found so much joy when it came to this tension, to this balance of following Christ. Before Jesus ever asked for the man's heart, he first gave him his because it says in verse 21 that he looked at the man and he felt genuine love for him. Felt genuine love for him. And when I read that, I realized, hold on a second. This story is oh so familiar to another story. This story of Jesus having this conversation with this near perfect human being has the same ingredients of this other story of Jesus having a conversation with a near-perfect being. This, this story here of this guy that's more than likely a part of the Sanhedrin who has, who has the wealth and the health and, and, and the power and is still like lacking something in his life and it's connected to the love of Christ and it's connected to, it has nothing to do with the outward performance. This story, oh, this is sounding oh so familiar to another story where Jesus is having another conversation with the member of the Sanhedrin, and it's in John's account, John chapter three, where Jesus says the perfect verse for the perfect individual. <laughs> I'm referring to Nicodemus, where Nicodemus is so conflicted, he has to meet Jesus at night because he doesn't want other people to recognize, I got it all, but I'm still missing it all. <laughs> He says, Jesus, how is this possible? And Jesus says, for God so loved that he gave. For God so loved. The, perfect, the most near perfect individual on both sides, God responds the same way saying, you wanna know? You wanna know a perfect motive? You wanna know my perfect motive for you? It's connected to the love that I first gave. And so new life, when it comes to our motive, when it comes to our performance, when it comes to what we do with these hands, the motion of our life, it can be and can only be connected to the purest motive of the fact that God first loved 
you. And so when it comes to the down to the base, the most intrinsic core motive of every person on the planet is love. But we're not working for love. We are obedient from a place of love. From that place, that motive is oh so pure. I'm parenting not for love. I'm parenting from love. I'm doing the best at my job, not for promotion. No, because God, I know my identity in Christ. He loved me first. Therefore, I got nothing to prove. It's, what's your motive? What has your heart? Because God said, I want to get at that because that's the motive. What, what has your heart? Is it, is it your job performance? Is it really that? Is it the security of, of the bank account? If you could get it to a certain number, right? Is it connected to the fulfillment of your kids? Come on, if your aunt, like, like, if they succeed, then I will then have done well. The motive, it, Jesus said, it can't come from anything else except from the fact that I loved you. Band can go on and come on up. Um, for me, this moment of, of motive check, I'll, I'll never forget it. I was, I was in my 20s and about three years in from youth pastoring and, and I, I was just at a spot where, I mean, I was doing, I was doing a lot of this, you know, I was serving, I was going, I was doing all kinds of things, all kinds of twirls and spins and God, watch us do this youth event now, just awesome and like watch this go and see how, see how this could take place and and, and, and then I was putting stuff in, right? I was putting stuff in the wheelbarrow. I was like, God, look at all these salvations. And God, look how many people showed up. And God, look at how well I spoke with your word. Although it's just completely foolish of me to think that, that way. But look at all of this. And I was feeling completely unfulfilled. And I was just asking God, why? Why? What is this connected to? And, and it was just in this transparent moment with God, my motives were revealed. <laughs> and my motive behind everything that I was doing for God. <laughs> I was doing for me. <laughs> because, and I, I, I told God this, I said, God, God I want to be the best. <laughs> I want to be the best youth pastor. I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best with what you have given me. I want to be the best because I know I've been given much and so much is required for you, much is given. Like I want to be the best God. And on the outside, that even sounds like a pretty good motive. <laughs> but it's not, it wasn't connected to the purest motive because I realized everything that I was doing, everything about my wheelbarrow was connected to the need for love. And in response to my statement of like, God, I wanna be the best. God told me this. He said, Isaac, you will never be the best. <laughs> then he said, because I'm the best because I'm the best because I'm the best and I will always be the best I will always be the best and your best is you simply pointing people to the best
In other words, he's telling you and I this morning, he's saying, listen, the balance of life, it's not about your performance and it's not about what you have in the barrel. I want you to empty said barrel and get yourself into the barrel so that I can then push you forward. Because when it comes to the balancing act of life, the securest place is not you on the tightrope, but you in the wheelbarrow with the best behind you, pushing you to the other side. And all you're doing is saying, look at the best. Look at the best. Look at the best. You'll never be the best. <laughs> because it's not about what we're doing for God. It's the fact that everything that we do, the pure motive is that I am, I'm doing this from love, from love, from love. God loves you. He gave his life for you. Nothing that you do can earn it or take it away. He loves you to the core. That is the purest motive that you have. Because God loved me, for God so loved the world, so I am obedient. For God so loved, so I parent. For God so loved, so I lead. For God so loved, so I give. For God so loved, so I live this freedom and this balance <laughs> and this security how ironic is it that the most secure place for us isn't in a balance but in a surrender giving God your heart all across this room you stand up on your feet today And what we need to do as a response time here at New Life is just simply having an honest moment with God. God, what has my heart? What, what has my heart? Is it, is it the performance? Is it me just trying to achieve? Is it just connected to my personality and because I'm wired this way, therefore I act and respond this way? What, what, is, what is the motif? What is the, what is the natural, intrinsic, seen thing that my life will be known for? What is the motive of my heart? Because God's saying every single one of you today, I, you know what, daughter and child, you know what the purest motive is? It's I've already already done it for you it's it's the love that I've already given you would you re-surrender your heart to me like a child would you receive without any type of earning without any type of foreknowledge without any type of deserving of said gift would you receive I want to pray and our prayer team will come up to the front if you need to partner in prayer in this but the, the rest of us at your seat I mean let this be an altar moment at your seat of re-surrendering your heart to God Lord I thank you for the dots that you're connecting Holy Spirit I thank you for your love God as people re-surrender their hearts to you this morning as they re-surrender I pray in Jesus name that there would be an overflowing of your peace there would be an overflowing of your presence God, at the end of the day, 
we believe and obey God not for love, but God from love. We believe and obey God not from love, but not for love, but from love. God, we parent from love. God, we obey from love. God, we give from love. God, would there be that freedom and that security of recognizing it's not a life of balance. It's a life of surrender. In Jesus' name, let's worship, let's surrender. If you need prayer, come forward now. He's the answer. He is the breakthrough. He is the only one. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is our only hope. And we turn to Him today. God, have your way. Let there be breakthrough. Come on, let's sing it one more time. And sing it loud. Sing it like we believe it. Take a moment. Get into the wheelbarrow. Trust God today. Trust Him with your heart. Trust Him with your life. Trust Him with a relationship. 
Trust Him with what's going on in your finances. Trust Him with what's happening in your physical being. Trust Him today with what's happening in your emotions. Trust Him today. He is the breakthrough. Come on, draw near to Him. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, don't leave this place today without receiving that which God brought you here for. Come on, let's sing it again. Lift up your voice, church. Come on. Oh, come on. Let's rejoice. Yes. You're making all things new. It's what you always do. You are my breakthrough. You're making all things new. You're making all things new. It's what you always do. You are my breakthrough. You're making all things new. You're making all things new. It's what you church we now have to trust God listen if God's called you to lay something down and to trust him with it don't pick it back up and walk out the door leave it here leave it where God can deal with it and trust your life trust your circumstance in the hands of God amen that means that we can go out and we can be a light. We can go out and rejoice. We can go out and be the spirit-filled. We can go out and be the joy-filled. We can go out and be the peace-filled. We can go out and be those that are filled with the power of God. So I am uh, sending you out. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. Amen? God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Don't forget, find a life group. Enjoy your family together.